Thanks, Jen. Hey, good morning, everyone. You know, Jen mentioned uh, Chad Dedman, and um, Chad, uh, last week we, we shared this in the first service, but missed sharing it in this service. Chad tells a story. I'm just going to truncate it so you can hear him tell it himself. He was shipwrecked, literally. They were going to an island in, um, in, in South Pacific, I believe it was, and their ship literally sank. But they sent out a distress single, and another boat came along and picked them up and took them to a different island than they were headed for. But uh, when they got there, they found out those people all came running down to the shore, and they'd been waiting for them to explain what this book meant. And they somehow had found a Bible. And uh, so I'll let him tell that whole story in detail if if he chooses to. But uh, Chad also tells a story of several years ago. Um, being at a Walmart at night and late at night. And have any of you ever worked third shift? Okay, you know how third shift, there aren't as many bosses around, things are a little bit looser. Well, he prayed for a lady in the, in the line checking out and she was healed. And she's ecstatic and jumping up and down and, and, and you know, creating attention. And so other people start to gather and then they, they actually gave Chad the microphone to the whole store, and he announced that God was in the building, and, uh, and people were being healed. Come to checkout station number whatever, 14, if you want prayer. So he's that kind of guy that uh, is, you know, lives on the edge, and so he'll stretch us. He'll bless us with all sorts of stories. I think the biggest thing is it'll raise our faith, and, and so I encourage you to plan to come and, uh, and, and participate in that conference as much as the time, of the time as you can be here. All right, so let's pray, okay? Father, uh, we're, we're thankful that we can be here and we can call you the God of the universe, Father. And we can, we can come together knowing your goodness. And we come hungry for your presence, We come here because we want to experience you. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, uh, Spirit of Jesus, third member of the Trinity, fill this room with the presence of the living God. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have been in a series called Power Outside the Walls, and we use this title particularly because in our culture, it's very common thinking that we come inside the walls to meet God. We come here and uh, we worship, we sing to God, and we experience God's presence. We get some teaching uh, from the Bible that encourages our hearts, maybe helps us, hopefully helps us in our lives that week. And then we go back outside the walls into life. And if there's anybody outside there that needs more of God, they can come here. And they can come in with us and, and get more of God. And that's all true. We want, we want everyone to come here to, to worship, to experience God's presence, to learn and to grow. And we really want people that are seeking God, that uh, maybe people that haven't been to church for years or ever, we want them to be able to come in and experience the life that Jesus gives by, by coming inside the walls too. But what we need to recognize is that is just half of the equation. That's just half of the deal. What God intends is for us to come here to experience his life and then to carry his life outside the walls. 
and to carry his life into the lives of people that we encounter every day of the week. Uh, because we all have friends, don't we, that, that need Jesus. We all have family members that you can think of that you think, boy, I, I, I wish I could help them. I wish that, you know, that Jesus would touch their life and they could come to know Jesus. You know, we have coworkers and neighbors and people that we bump into at the grocery store or at the mall that need Jesus. And so we, we as a church body, I believe in a particular way, are called to take the power of God, the presence of God outside the walls of the church and into life, into family life, into neighborhood life, into work life, into just everyday life. And, and so this series is really focused on that. Now, last, uh, last couple of weeks... We've gone over um, something that we developed. That we've used this term power evangelism first. Let me say that. And, uh, and I want to say this. That is a very strong term. Power and evangelism. Both of those are very strong words. And so I'm going I'm to explain them a little to you here. But um, the, the thing we did in the last few weeks was to come up with five simple steps to move that direction. And we did that because we realized everybody's not at the same place in life. Everyone's not at the same place in their, their growth and in their development. And, and so we wanted to give everybody a place where you could look and you could say, okay, well, I can get on board here. I can get on a step one or step two or I'm at step three and, and, and be able to identify where we are and, and be able to feel good about where we are. And, and to be willing to take another step of growth. So that was something we've done. But this morning what I want to do, as I just said, that this term power evangelism is a pretty strong and powerful word. But uh, what I want to do is look at a few of the key terms from the Bible and what they actually mean that relate to this whole, this whole concept of evangelism in general. And the first one is this, the word gospel. You've, you've heard the term gospel. Uh, in, in the Bible, the first four books of the, of the New Testament are called the Gospels of Jesus Christ. So what does the word gospel mean? We have it up here on the screen. The Greek word, what this is, is a transliteration. What I did was I just uh, phonetically translated it into English. And this is how the Greek word would sound. It's euangelion. That's what the gospel is in Greek, euangelion. Now what it means is, Good news, real simple, good news. And when you look at the word itself, it breaks down into a prefix, which is you, E-U, which means good or beautiful. I like, the, I like the beautiful side of that. And then angelion is a word that means message or news. So the gospel is simply the good news, the beautiful news. And when you think of it as such, as it's beautiful news. Beauty is obvious. You don't have to argue about beauty. Uh, when there's a beautiful sunset, I don't have to convince Lori that it's beautiful. I don't have to say, Lori, there are all these tints of rose, and there's hues of purple, and then there are these streaks going across, and can't you see it's beautiful? All I have to do is say, honey, look, look at the sky. And she sees it, and we both recognize its beauty. And so when we think in these terms of helping other people to see Jesus, helping other people to meet Jesus, one of the things we need to remember is Jesus is beautiful, and the message about Jesus is beautiful. 
And so I don't have to argue or convince. It's not my job to do that anyway. But so often in, in the whole concept of the term evangelism, there is this notion, you, you picture someone arguing with someone else or someone trying to force someone else to say a prayer they don't want to say or, or, or pushing themselves on someone else that doesn't want to talk to them. And I want to say that this, this message of the gospel is just a beautiful message. And so it, when, we, when we see that at the foundation, it helps us to understand how this whole thing works. Now, the term evangelism is the second term I want to look at. Uh, this is a term that, to me, if I'm sitting in an audience and a speaker stands up and says, we're going to talk about evangelism today, I get a little bit sick to my stomach. I, literally, I really do. I get butterflies, and I think, oh, no, what's he, what are they going to say? Are they going to make me feel guilty? Are they going to tell me that the whole world's um, souls are uh, all my responsibility or what? And, and so... The, the term itself has come in our culture to, I think, evoke some, some, some negative type of thinking from us, if not, um, if not negative in the sense of, I don't want to, I don't want to um, have anyone try to evangelize me, to, to the sense of, well, I don't want to be involved in it myself either. But here's what evangelism means. It is, it's a different form of the word gospel. You can see that. Gospel was euangelion. Evangelism is euangelizo, in, in that's, that's how it would be pronounced in Greek. And what that means is just simply someone who shares good news. It's just someone who shares beautiful news. That's all it is. It doesn't say anything about convincing or arguing or debating or being pushy or being obnoxious or anything like that. It just says someone who shares good news. Now, uh, think of this. Uh, how many Bengal fans do we have here today? A lot? Okay, come on, be, be bold. Raise your hand. <laughs> Claim your team. All right. What if in a miraculous turn of events, the Bengals win the AFC North? Which could... Okay, it wouldn't be an actual miracle. I, I grant you that. It could happen. And then what if they go on to win the AFC Championship? You have just watched the game, and now you're going to the grocery store, and, and you're, you pull into the parking lot, and you see a good friend pulling in at the same time. You both get out of the car. What do you say to them? Did you see the Bengals game? Yeah, we're going to the Super Bowl. Awesome. I mean, that's going to be wonderful news to all of you, uh, except for someone like me, a Steelers fan. Yeah, we know that. But it's good news. It's beautiful news. And it would be good news to me, too, if the Bengals went to the Super Bowl. You wouldn't have any hesitation, just in a natural, loving way. Now, you're going to bump into people that are going to say, ah, I'm sick of football. And you're not going to go home thinking, oh, no, they, you know, they, they rejected my overture of... No, you just think, well, that's okay. If they're sick of football, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to you know, like push this on them. But you just share good news. So to evangelize is just simply to share good news. Now, the third term is this, witness. And the word witness just means exactly what it means in English. It means someone who tells what they have seen or experienced. You've, we've all seen court shows where the, um, where the person who's giving testimony says something and the opposing lawyer objects hearsay. That's, they didn't actually hear that said themselves. They didn't actually see it done. They heard someone else say it. And so you can't, you can't bring hearsay evidence into the courtroom. It's what you have seen 
and experienced. You get that? So if that's the case, then this is really getting simple, isn't it? Then the questions are, well, what have I experienced of God? How have I experienced this beautiful thing of Jesus, this beautiful message of Jesus? How have I experienced that in my life? And, And so we ask that, what's God done in my life, and what have I seen him do? Because those are the things I can talk about. Those are the things I can testify to. Now, the first question would be my, my own relationship with God. Do I have a personal relationship with God? In other ways, people say that is, do I know Jesus or do I have a personal relationship with Jesus? But John 1.12 says this. It says, to all who did receive him, it says first that he came to his own and his own rejected him. But many of them did receive him. By and large, they rejected him, but some received him. And to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so it says that if you receive Jesus, you become a child of God. So have I done that? And if I have, then I have a story. I have a test. I have, I could be a witness. I have a testimony. And, and I don't have to use those terms because they take on too much religious thinking, but I, I have something to share. I have something to tell. I have a story to tell. You, you know, for instance, uh, you would ask, well, when did it happen? How did it happen? And what did it mean in your life? So for me, I grew up going to Sunday school in a little church, heard the Bible taught, heard the Bible stories, learned them, learned the Ten Commandments, thought that it was my job was to obey the Ten Commandments, to be a good boy, be a good kid. And believe in God, but ne- never really entered into a personal relationship with God. As a result of that, when I, when I went to college, I, I ended up um, in, in my life moving in the direction of drugs and, and drinking and a, a lifestyle that resulted in two years into college and me flunking out of college. And so I flunked out of college because of everything I was doing. And while I was flunked out of college, actually, the six months or so prior to me flunking out, I had had two or three people that I had known that had met Jesus. And uh, one of them in particular, I remember we sat, and she's telling me about Jesus and how he changed her life and how she's a new person. And, and, and as she's telling me all this, it's like there's something inside my heart, in my chest, it, almost physically, that is just kind of like going like this, just, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. But I didn't make a decision to receive Jesus at that moment. And that happened a couple of times. And then when I flunked out and I'm back living at home again, um, and, and I heard the gospel one night presented actually on TV, and I'm listening to this, that Jesus can change your life, that he died for your sins, that he rose from the dead. God loves you. He's not mad at you. He, he wants you to invite Jesus into your life. And when I was hearing that, there was something inside my heart that was just saying yes to that. It wasn't that I was hearing a voice say, Van, come on, it's time. But there was something inside me was just, just drawing me to that. And I had to, I had to say, wait a second, Jesus or the lifestyle I have, which is it? And, and I was afraid I couldn't, didn't have enough power to change my life, and, I, and, and I'm and I'm sitting there thinking about this, I really want to invite you into my life right now, Jesus, but I know the way I'm living, and I don't see how I could ever change. And God did speak to me at that moment, 
and this thought just pressed into my mind, don't worry about that, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of the change part. And so I just opened my heart to Jesus that night. And the very first thing that occurred was the guilt that I had left. And some joy came in. I'm not saying that I've had joy every moment since, but joy came in. And I noticed in the, up, in, in the succeeding days that I wasn't nearly as angry as I used to be. And things that would just really make me violently angry, I just wasn't angry about anymore. And so that, that's a story. That's just a story about what Jesus did in my life. And if you know Jesus, then you have a story like that too. And that's how we share the good news. That's what being a witness is. It is just simply telling what you know. Now, other things that God wants to do in our lives, uh, the personal relationship, um, we can ask the question, do I experience his peace in life? And so if I know Jesus, has there been a time when I've experienced his peace? And Jesus said this about that. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He goes on to say, not as the world gives to you. And what he means by that is, you know, you can find some measure of peace just by rationalizing your situation and thinking through it and thinking, well, maybe it won't turn out so bad after all. You can find some level of peace that way. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to give you a peace you don't have to rationalize. I'm going to give you a peace that's just just a, a package from heaven that drops into your heart. And all of a sudden, this stuff I was so worried about doesn't seem as big anymore. Now, I experienced that, uh, I've experienced that many times, but one time very memorable to me, first time, was shortly after I received Jesus into my heart. I applied for a job at a factory that I had worked at two summers before, and they told me they wouldn't hire me because I had been blackballed. Now, that means that one of the foremans wrote my name down in a book and put a black X beside it or whatever, I don't know how they actually did it. But they said, never hire this guy again. I was shocked. I was blown away by that because I was a good employee. I worked hard. I always showed up. And I knew there were other guys that goofed off and didn't do their job. But I didn't. I, I, I was a good employee. And so I was dumbfounded by that and distraught. And I went home. And I got on my knees, opened the Bible, read the Bible, and prayed. And God gave me peace. I just had this peace come into my heart that was nothing coming from me, and, it, and it peace. Maybe you have a story like that, where you were afraid and looking at circumstances, you didn't know what was going to happen, and you prayed, and God gave you peace. That's a great story to tell. That's a, now, in my story, I actually did end up getting the job. They found out why uh, my partner, I had been blackballed, and it was... Um, it wasn't right, so they gave us the job. But it, it, I didn't know that at the time that I got that peace. And so you encounter someone who needs peace, and, and you say, you know, God can give us peace. Can, can I just say a short prayer for you? Can I just say a short prayer for you that God will give you peace right now? And then you ask them if you can hold their hand or if the circumstances are right, put your hand on their shoulder. And you don't pray for two minutes. You just say, God, thank you for your love for for Sam, and he's facing some tough stuff right now. Give him peace, Jesus' name, just like that. Then the Holy Spirit, in many cases, touches that person. Lori and I went to one restaurant where we prayed for our server, 
and uh, a couple of times, and she was always left in tears. So like the third or fourth time we went in, she said, you can't pray for me tonight. I, I, have, to, I have to finish my shift. So uh, sometimes it's not appropriate to pray, but in cases like that. But, um, but, but that person then gets touched by God. And, and, and all you've done is you've just shared your story, just a little bit of your story. Uh, how about this? Do I experience his love? And do I experience his love? People need love out there so much, so much. And, and the Bible says this about God's love. It says, for we, we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. To fill our hearts with his love. He wants our hearts to be filled with his love. You know, I can't think of anything more important to me as a dad than that my children would know and experience my love. I want them to know I love them, I accept them, I bless them. You know, when, I, when my boys, my, my older boys were little, and this applied to Wilson too, I figured my daughter, you know, we're going to grow up, and when we're adults, she'll, you know, she'll hug me, and that'll be good. But I figured, well, these little boys, you know, I'd seen fathers and sons that didn't hug. And like my dad was um, very, very, did not share a lot of emotions and stuff, so we, we didn't like, we weren't like huggers. So I decided this, I'm going to hug my boys every day of their lives. And if I do that then there'll never be a time where there's this big gap where it seems weird that we're hugging because I want them to know my love. And God the Father wants us to know his love. And he wants to pour his love out on us. And so if there's ever been a time you've experienced his love, you have a story. And you can share that with somebody who needs a touch of his love. And, and so, I, you know, even as I'm talking about this, um, I can't help but think that there are people here that need God's peace. And some that just need a touch of his love. And I'm going to pray that right now, okay? What I'm going to ask you to do is this. Uh, In a moment, we're going to close our eyes. But if you feel like you're at a place in your life where you need peace, or or you're just just hungry for a touch of his love, then just open your hands up like this and put them in your lap. And um, that's like a physical statement of, I'm, I'm receiving from you, God. I'm willing, I'm ready, I'm open to receive from you. And our physical expression is just as important as, as our verbal expression or even what we're thinking in our minds. So let's close our eyes right now, okay? And no one's looking around. If you feel like you'd like a, a piece of God or just a touch of his love, just hold your hands out. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit who is here will reveal himself. So Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, you are here. And I ask you right now to just release the the, the peace of Jesus. Release the peace of Jesus to every person across this room that is indicating they need it right now. Maybe even to a few that don't know they need it, but just release peace right now, supernatural peace. So release a sense that it's okay. Whatever the circumstances, it's okay. We can trust God in this. Release your love. Holy Spirit, you pour out the love of the Father, so release your love and touch with your love in a way that people will know it's you touching them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you just uh, had peace dropped into your heart right now, that was God. You have a story. If you just had some sense of God's love, it might have just been an inner sense. It might have been a physical thing. 
Uh, there, there have been times I've felt like just like the presence of God coming on me like a warm blanket. If you felt something like that, then you have a story. That was God touching you with his love, touching you with his peace, touching you with his life. Now, as you, know, as you, as you look at this, there are other things he does and a couple profound things. In uh, Psalm 147, it says that he heals wounded hearts. Okay? He heals broken hearts. So, so this verse, he heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. Now, how many of us come here brokenhearted? How many of us um, look, to, look to the past and, and we see some time that we've been betrayed by a friend or, or perhaps a spouse? You know, how, how many of us look to the past and we remember words that were spoken to us, maybe by a teacher or a, or a friend or a parent, you know, words that still hamper us from, from just walking in complete freedom. They just seem to have a grip on our hearts. And our hearts are broken over that. God specializes in healing broken hearts. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit does this. He touches people's hearts and he heals them from shame, abandonment, uh, just this feeling that there's something wrong with me. I'm different. There's something wrong with me. He wants to heal that in your heart. And again, I'm going to pray right now, and um, you, you can keep your eyes open or you can close them either way, but I'm just going to say, uh, Lord Jesus, release this truth of your word that you heal broken hearts. Just say, Holy Spirit, heal our hearts. Heal, and we all need this, okay? None of us ever get beyond the point. Heal our hearts. Heal hearts that are broken because of loneliness and rejection. Heal hearts that are broken because of words spoken that still bind those hearts and, and keep them from growing into all you want them to be. Just release right now in Jesus' name. I break those words off in the name of Jesus. Pray freedom, healing to the heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, what a story. God healed my heart. I was captive to these words that were spoken to me when I was in seventh grade, and, and they've, 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 they rang in my mind over and over and over again. I never told anybody about it because I was so ashamed of it, but God healed my heart from that. What a story. What a powerful, uh, what a powerful story about God's love and goodness. You know, finally, he heals our bodies. In uh, Psalm 103.3, he does a whole lot more than this. So when I say finally, I don't mean this is the concluding all thing that God does. But for our message today, you know, has my body been healed or have I seen someone's body healed? If I have, I have a story to tell. In Psalm 103.3, he forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. You see, God is a healing God. And if you've been healed... Then you have a story to tell. If you've prayed for someone, they were healed. What a story. You, if you've been standing there when someone was healed, you have a story to tell. Someone just reminded me the other day of a time, probably four years ago, we had Robbie Dawkins here, and it was a, probably a Friday night service, I would guess, and there was a group clustered right over here in this, in this part of the room, and someone's leg was short. One leg was shorter than the other. And in this case, probably an inch, inch and a half shorter, so it was real obvious. They prayed for that person, and then they watched that leg grow. 
It just watched it grow right out to the same length as the other one. The person gets up, my back pain is gone, and it's just a creative miracle. And this person was sharing that with me, telling me about it, because that was the moment that they really realized God's alive. They were standing there watching it, and they realized God is alive. He's real. He does stuff today. And so they have a story to tell. And when you encounter someone who um, is weary and, and worn out physically or their, their uh, body is filled with pain or sickness, you can say, you know, God heals people today. And can I just say a short prayer for you? Because I've seen people healed before. Can I say a short prayer for you for God's presence and his love to touch you and healing? And then again, short You don't go on praying for a minute. It's like a 10, 15, 20 second prayer because God can touch people in in that amount of time. It doesn't have to be long. You see, this is the kind of stuff Jesus did for three years. Three years, this is what he did. And in fact, in Matthew 4, 23, it says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So that was what Jesus did, saying the kingdom of God's here. And what we mean when we say the kingdom of God is here, think of the kingdom of heaven and what's happening in heaven. Is there sickness in heaven? No. Is there poverty in heaven? Hunger? Is there, are there broken relationships in heaven? No to all of that. And so when Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, what he's saying is what's happening in heaven, the life of heaven is being released right now into the life of earth. And then he demonstrated what that meant by healing people, by blessing them, by freeing them. And and so we see things such as in one occasion, you can read this story in John 9, Jesus comes across a blind man and um, and the man wants his sight and Jesus heals him. So the the man goes from being totally blind to now having, I'm going to guess, perfect vision, okay? He's healed. Now the problem was, This was a Sabbath. That means it was a religious holiday for the Jews. And they had this notion that you shouldn't work on the Sabbath, which was true. That was part of God's God's, um, instructions to them. Don't work on the Sabbath. But they extended it so far into uh, into ridiculous areas. And one of those areas was no healing on the Sabbath. Okay? You cannot use God's power to heal someone on the Sabbath. I mean, as if... God's power is going to violate his own day. But, and so they come after this, this blind man, and they're trying to get something on Jesus. They're trying to get him to say something about Jesus, to attack Jesus. And he finally just, in exasperation, says, what can I tell you? I'm, I'm ad-libbing here. What do you want me to tell you? I was blind. I met Jesus. Now I see. You want to hear that again? I was blind. Now I see Jesus did it. Is there more I can tell you? I mean, that's about as simple as it gets, isn't it? And what beautiful news. What a beautiful message. You know, I was this. I met Jesus, and boy, he healed me of that, whatever it might be. I was fearful. I was angry. I was, I was without hope. I met Jesus, and now I have hope. Now, I'm not, I'm not living, I'm not controlled by fear anymore. We all, we all experience fear at times. But I'm not controlled. By, what a powerful story. 
And so th- this, is, this is what this whole idea of power evangelism is. It's, it's us getting in touch with what God's done in our lives and just sharing that and then asking the, the person that we're talking to if we can pray for them so they can experience something of that too. And sometimes they don't experience anything. But even if they don't experience anything, I've still shown them the love of God. And they're still going to be blessed just by the fact that someone cares enough about them to recognize their pain and cares enough about them to ask to pray for them. They're blessed by that. But when they are healed and the power of God flows or they do get peace and the power of God is flowing, then then something just really marvelous happens. Now, you might say, well, okay, great, good, but uh, I'm not Jesus, I'm not an apostle. You know, apostles were like the 12 special followers that Jesus had, his 12 key people that went with him everywhere in these three years. Not one of them. I'm not even a pastor. I'm not an evangelist, and I'm not a healer. So these are all great stories. Thank you for telling me, but what do they have to do with me personally? And I think the answer to that question is in understanding what is a Christian. You know, what is a Christian? And uh, I'm going to spend the rest of my time just sharing that with you. A Christian, the term Christian was invented by people that weren't Christians. The, ter- the term wasn't used until years after Jesus had died, resurrected, and gone back to heaven in a city called Antioch. And what it means is little Christ. Christ, and then I-A-N is the diminutive ending. And so whatever you would put in front of I-A-N would mean little. So little Christ's. We, we had a friend named Joseph from Guatemala that uh, when we um, met him in Guatemala and got to know him, we noticed other people called, didn't call him Joseph, they called him Josecito. And Ito means little. And so they called him Little Joe. Now, that was an ironic name because Joseph was as big as a sumo wrestler. <laughs> but if Christians had first been named in Guatemala, they probably would have you know, they would pronounce the J with an H, you know, Jesus. We would be Jesusito, Jesusito, little Jesus. But the the name was just little Christ. That's all it meant. Jesus never gave an official formal designation other than disciples and apostles. And um, and those disciple means learner, apostle means someone sent. And so the main thing he did was this. He said, believe and he said, follow me. So that the follow me is the most operative thing he used. Follow me. Now, what does that mean? Like, I'm at the store, and I'm looking for an item, and a clerk says, follow me, I'll take you to it. Well, it means that somewhat, but it means a whole lot more than that. See, this would be a term that would be commonly used in rabbinic uh, usage to uh, recruit a student, to recruit a disciple, and uh, see, all boys in, in Jewish culture went to rabbinical school to a certain age. And then when they graduated from like rabbinical grammar school, some of them got to go into graduate rabbinical school and would be, would be trained by a specific rabbi. And some of them didn't. Now, the ones who didn't, I've heard said that the rabbi might visit their parents and say, oh, that Peter, he's a wonderful young man. He's going to make a wonderful fisherman. And what they were saying was, he's not much of a student, and he's, he's not going any further. But the, the idea of follow me would be a call to become 
the disciple of a specific rabbi. And so what that would mean would be far more than just, here, I'll show you the, I'll show you the, the way. It would be, you're going to follow me. That means we're going to have a relationship. We're going to spend time together. You're going to follow me. That means I'm going to teach you about truth and wisdom. You're going to follow me. That means you're going to model your life after mine. So whatever I am, that's your goal is to become like me. That's the teacher-student role. That's the follow me statement. So when Jesus says, follow me, and we say yes to him, we're saying yes to him in, in some respects to our rabbi, the one that we're going to learn about life from, and we're going to become like him. We're going to become little Jesuses, Jesusito, or Jesusito, little Jesus. And when we recognize that, then we recognize that what Jesus did is what we are called to do. Now, with this whole idea of follow, um, the, the idea Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. So we hear his voice, and you can hear his voice different ways. I heard it through a couple of friends, and then I heard it through a man preaching on TV, but, but it, there was a voice inside, too, that was tugging at my heart. And so you can hear it through reading a book or sometimes a billboard or whatever. But there's going to be this inner voice, the Holy Spirit drawing your heart and, and saying, yeah, come on, let's get, let's get with this. This, this is the way for, for you to go. Say yes to him. He's saying, follow me, say yes. And when we say yes, he comes into our hearts, into our lives, he changes us, and we become new. We become children of God in a very specific way. That's why John 1.12 says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. But you might say, well, wait a second. Aren't everybody in the world, aren't, they all, aren't we all children of God all across the globe? And, and I would answer that by saying, yes, in a respect, in the respect that we're all created by God, that he is the creator and I derive my life from him. In that respect, yes, we're all children of God. But there's another respect in which this verse is talking about becoming specifically part of the, the family of God in a particular way. Picture this, someone who runs an orphanage, and they have 100 kids in their orphanage, and, and this, this leader of the orphanage says, all of these children are mine. They're all mine. But she also has a husband, and they have had some biological children between the two of them, so they have a particular family. That is in a particular way hers. And so a few of the kids in the orphanage, and I've heard of this actually happening. So for some reason, they capture her heart and she adopts them. And she gives them her name. And she brings them into the family with full standing. They have a place at the table. and They have the full authority of the family. And they have then become part of the particular children. And so when you receive Jesus, you become a child of God in this special, particular way. And what that does is it makes Jesus our big brother. Okay, he's the big brother then. From that moment on, he's my big brother. And in those, that culture, a big brother, the oldest male, would have been the one who inherited the lion's share of the inheritance. And so let, let's say this. Okay, the firstborn son, he gets the villa, he gets the orchards, he gets the fishing business, he gets the winery, and, and he gets $2 million on top of it. All the other siblings each get $50,000 or, or something like that. 
Okay, so we think about that, and some of you have heard this in the past. I've heard this in the past, and you might think, well, that's not fair. Everybody should get equal amount. But what that did was this. Listen, that firstborn son gets the inheritance. What that makes him is the family patriarch. It doesn't make him the rich guy that gets to go off and squander his funds. It makes him the family patriarch. And then it's his job to take care of the whole family. You've got you to keep the businesses going. You've got to draw everyone together. You've got to make sure everyone's provided for. And Jesus is like the, the, the eldest son who got the inheritance, and he's the family patriarch. And he says, hey, I want this inheritance to go to everybody on the planet. I do because we created them. The Father and I created all of them. I want them all in my family in this particular sense. And so what he does is he distributes the presence and power and life of his kingdom to each one of us, to every believer. He gives it to all of us so that we carry his presence and we carry his presence out beyond the walls. And, And listen, I'm telling you this. If we really, really begin to become conscious of this, and we're, we're living in the presence of Jesus, and we're walking in the presence and empowering of the Holy Spirit everywhere we go, there are going to be times you're going to bump into somebody, and they're going to start sharing their life with you because they feel safe with you, because you're the kind of person Jesus was, and they feel safe with you. And then when that happens then that, that's, 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 the, that, that's when, you know what? I, I've been fearful. I've gone through periods of life where, you know, I, I lost my husband, and, and I know God gave me peace in that time. Or I lost my job, and I had a wife and kids to take care of, and, and God provided for us, and he gave me peace. Can I say a prayer for you for God to give you peace? And, and, and then we are acting as little Jesus, we're acting as those that are followers of Christ because that's what he did and that's what he calls us to. So, um, you know, what we're going to do right now is we're going to receive our offering, then we're going to have communion, then go into worship. And I'm just going to pray right now, though, first and just say, Jesus, make us more like you. Spirit of Jesus. You know, they, they called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus in the book of Acts because he did stuff like Jesus did. So Spirit of Jesus, come and make us more like Jesus. Let us walk in your presence and empowering everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the offering, uh, yeah. Thank you. Blessings. you don't mind reaching off to your left there and grab that offering bag or uh, basket and pass it down the aisle then the ushers will come by and pick it up you know people give a lot of people give this way and um, other people probably about a third of our givers actually give on uh, through our app which is a great way to give to it really it's like Lori and I are on that and we we plugged it into a certain day of the month and so it's the first thing that happens is our giving when we get paid. And so it's a really, it's a great way to, to, uh, to give and to put it first. But um, the app is also really good for other things, like the program's always in it every week. You can find out information by going to it. So I just encourage you to download it. It's, um, you can get the information in any one of our programs that are back there on the wall. And so we're also going to receive communion today. And this is a celebration of what Jesus did for us. It's a celebration of our big brother. 
It's a celebration that we're part of his family. It's a celebration that for us to become part of his family, he gave his body. When he hung on the cross, he gave his body for us. And he shed his blood so that you and I could have a clear path right into his family. So he, by doing that, he dealt with everything that separated us from God so that we could come into a, just in a clear, particular, intimate relationship with the Father. And so uh, if you're a believer, you're more than welcome to participate in this. And if you haven't yet accepted Jesus, um, maybe this would be a great way to say, Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my life. So the servers will be in their positions. I'm going to pray. They'll be in their positions when I'm done praying. And uh, then you can come forward and receive communion. Uh, We normally have people come up front to worship. Let's hold off on that until after everyone's received communion, okay? All right, so stand. Let's stand. Unless you want to sit, then you stay seated. Um, But stand with me if you have a mind too, okay? So Father God, thank you. Thank you that we can know you. Thank you that you're so good. Thank you, Jesus. You gave your life for ours so you could share your life with us. We celebrate that now in Jesus' name. Amen.